Hello and welcome to Geek Sweat. We are the news reviews and interviews podcast and today we are broadcasting live and direct from the Advocacy Academy. The Advocacy Academy is an activist youth movement of leaders fighting for justice and equality. They serve as the political home for grassroots youth organising and the catalyst for collective action. They exist in the heart of Southwest London in Brixton. You can find them on the website www.theadvocacy.com Welcome to Geek Sweat. This is Dom's Docs, the section where I, King Dom, look at some recent and not so recent documentaries of note. And this month we are looking at the political documentary The Dissident. And I am joined this month by MKH. Hi Dom. Hi MKH, how are you doing tonight? Uh, yeah. <laughs> tonight is 9 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I am a lot more uh, aware than you, I'm guessing. <laughs> I'm sober. I'm sober. That's a good thing. I'm too much coffee. Yeah. <laughs> You're next. You, you see a bit shaky. Yeah, it's the caffeine. <laughs> okay, nice one. And <laughs> also the injustice of the geopolitical situation today. Yeah. Ah, oh, I feel you, man. Yeah. That's deep. Mm-hmm. Really goes hand in hand with where we are right now. Yeah, it does. We're in the Advocacy Academy. Whoop, whoop. Revolution will be spoken about. Yes, <laughs> podcasted. <laughs> That's the yeah. one we were looking for. Yeah, exactly. And also joining me this month is TJ. Thank you for bringing my name out in installments. Appreciate that. Uh, thanks for having it's like me very back. Netflixy. Yeah, it's like the serial of the release of our presenters. But yeah, isn't that, isn't that more Amazon though? Amazon does the week by week, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's more more Amazon. Yeah, yeah. Netflix just gives you the full load, so yeah. which yeah. is In appropriate because this is a Amazon documentary. There you so go. There you go. Okay. Jeff Bezos, give us some money <laughs> <laughs> or a paper round. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So thanks for having me on the Dom's Docs again. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to delving into this kind of slightly alarming documentary about. Uh, what's going on in world events you know can we we're not going to ignore the fact that um tj is wearing a limited edition kango hat are we which he's never done in his whole entire life is this a new edition do you know what this is the result of like just panic dressing this morning and just randomly throwing (laughs) stuff (laughs) how big was this panic (laughs) (laughs) It, 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 it was broad and wide yeah (laughs) <laughs> like, sort of an all-encompassing panic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you're right. Like head-to-toe panic. Yeah. So you, you got out of bed naked. By the time you got to your front door, you're just picking up random bits of clothes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm actually surprised I haven't got like wallpaper and the, and the same coloured shoes on. This is brilliant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even night. It wasn't even dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Daylight. While, whilst I was panic dressing, I kind of slipped back into 1994 for a couple of minutes. You should have picked yeah. up a vase and put it on your head. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, I, I actually like the way it fits. Uh, that is brilliant. Love yeah. it. <laughs> so there we go. We are channeling. Who are we channeling? Someone in 1994. Um, it broke LL Cool J. Yeah. Because <laughs> um... he had Kango, but he had the nice flat cap Kangos, which he turned back to front. Okay, I'll wear it back to front just for you. No, but he doesn't have Kango on the back. That's the point. Oh, uh, what? Yeah. They sold me a dad. No, it's just the cheaper one. (laughs) 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 All right. So back to back to the matter at hand. 
This very serious documentary is looking at the murder of the political journalist Jamal Khashoggi and pointing the finger at some very high-profile suspects. This was, in fact, a recommendation from MKH. So, MKH, what first drew your attention about this documentary and why are we talking about it? Uh, Israel. Right. (laughs) Let me know. Tom, that's such a funny look. No, I'm joking. Everyone out there, I'm not anti-Semitic. I'm just saying, um, (laughs) let me trace back my steps. So this features the merger of a prominent journalist who actually worked for, I think it was the Washington Post. That's correct. Who, uh, which is owned by Jeff Bezos. Now, this political journalist was from Saudi Arabia. And the way, and this is spoiler alerts for those that haven't watched this documentary. Mm. Um, the way that they were able to find this journalist, because he was he had political asylum in the United States, the way they were able to find this journalist was through spyware, which was actually purchased by Saudi Arabia from Israel. So that's why I said Israel. Yeah. Right. And in fact, um, the documentary also features the work of the Saudi activist Omar Abdulaziz, and he proves to be central to piecing together what actually happened. Absolutely. I think um, I think we, we have to peel back the layers a lot more um, in terms of this political uh, vlogger, video vlogger. His story is really interesting. And, and you know what? If I'm not sure this documentary would have been made if Jamal wasn't murdered because um, Omar's story is really good, but I don't think it's enough to carry a whole documentary. Now, Omar's story was that he was in Saudi Arabia. And at the time, 80% of people in Saudi Arabia were on Twitter. Hmm. But um, this part of Twitter was actually um, very heavily uh, surveillance by the Saudi Arabian government. Hmm. I think it was around 88,000 different accounts were owned by the Saudi Arabian government. Hmm. So this Omar basically said one day... Fuck this government. Basically, that's what Mm -hmm. he said. And (laughs) his dad got a phone call saying, from the authorities saying, yeah, we would like to speak to your son. Now, any (laughs) uh, sane father in Saudi Arabia, as soon as they get a phone call from the Saudi Arabian authorities saying they want to speak to their son, knows it's not to, um, you know, give him a pat on the back. So he drove Mm. his son to the airport Mm. where his son eventually ended up in uh, uh, Toronto, Canada. Um, where he became more and more outspoken against the Saudi Arabian government. Now, the issue of going to Canada, where where you are, by all intents all intensive purposes, safe. The downside of that is if you have anyone that you like, let alone love, back in Saudi Arabia, they're gonna hold a few punches on your behalf. Yeah. So it mm-hmm. ended up his his brother is now serving time in prison for crimes that haven't actually been processed. Yeah, that's Majid Abdul Aziz. And I think the other guy was called... Actually, I'll tell you. There's, 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 there's two brothers. There's two brothers and 22 friends. Yeah, 22 friends. So yeah. 22 friends altogether. Mm-hmm. Good story, but I don't think this guy alone could have carried um, the documentary. And that's why you needed the, the Fred the backbone doing the heavy lifting of 
the assassination of um, Jamal. Mm. Right. And um, having both seen the documentary, um, TJ, how would you comment on the documentary technically? Um, does it work as a thriller or is it just a political documentary that's a bit dry for you? Um, well, having seen something called The Social Dilemma, um, perhaps like a month before, um, that documentary combines um, like an artificial reconstruction, Vox Pops and the some background kind of archive footage. Whereas I think with this uh, documentary, what you're getting is um, a real person in um, Abdulaziz, uh, the journalist that MKH was talking about, who had already gone through an experience of um, escaping the country so he could use his freedom of speech as a journalist. You've also got archive footage, but you've also got police um, investigation from like the highest authorities in Turkey, as well as like the um, uh, transcripts of the criminal activity itself. So it feels like you're inside of a court case that has no judge or jury. And you're wondering like, how is this crime gonna be contained with any form of justice? Because the individuals that are being spoken about are such powerful um, members of state that it looks like no court in the land can bring them to justice. So I would say, yeah, it's definitely a thriller for me. Uh, but yeah, it's a, a harrowing political documentary because of the death of somebody who was just trying to do his job basically. But okay, can I just uh, jump in there quite quickly? When you say the, the the powers to bring people to justice, are you talking about in Saudi Arabia? Or are you talking about in Turkey where the murder actually happened? I think it was in Turkey because there was this, the issue is like the murder uh, or where the um, Jamal Khashoggi was not seen again, and then it was later found through transcripts that a murder is is most likely the most likely thing that had taken place. It was in a, I think it was the Saudi Arabia consulate. And I think they had brought in this kind of international law about you can't cross over certain thresholds um, to do whatever you want. So it seems like it, a, the crime's been committed in Turkey and a whole country has got away with it, you know? No, but that's what I'm saying. So yeah. if you think before those guys were able to get back on a flight back home, yeah. do you think if they'd actually been caught by Turkish authorities do you think they would have been brought to justice in turkey given oh. what the political climate's like in turkey yeah in terms of because uh, there's been a few um uh political coups in turkey over the last well, uh, decade as well yeah well the current president's basically a dictator in all but name mm -hmm. like he's 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 taking more and more power away from everyone else and concentrating it on himself in yeah. fact just uh well, last week he, he expelled foreign dip diplomats from america uk and france amongst yeah. other countries so i think even if the authorities and this is this is just my own take yeah. but i think even if the authorities in turkey had caught these guys i don't think they yeah. would have been brought to justice as we know it yeah do you think there would have been some kind of um, i think it would have been some type of deal between deal. The Saudi Arabia, no. and let's just talk I about think there was going to be a compromise because in the documentary it suggests that uh, even though the, the people weren't named, it suggests that like twenty people were arrested and brought to court yeah. to go to trial for the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, but um, three people were kind of had all of their charges dropped, and it turns out they, they were the most the three senior individuals ones. who were most senior. 
Um, well, also, just, just to inject that, those ones that got convicted, we yeah. don't have their names. We don't know what the trial looked like. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. they could have just put that out as propaganda. Yeah, sure. Because sure. The, the thing everyone needs to realize about Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia is run like a 17th century kingdom. Yeah. In fact, it. It basically is a 17th century kingdom because yeah. the royal family holds all power yeah. and they have like different roles. So like they have roles like we see in the United Kingdom. So they have a foreign secretary. Mm. They probably have a, a justice secretary. They probably have a business secretary. But these... these They're members of the same family. Exactly. They're, they, they're all related. And also it's been for 80, I think 83 years, it's been like descendants of the, the original Saud yeah. who had been there. From but, one guy's nutsack. Yeah, That's well, we had 36 children, so there was yeah. a lot to spread across. But I want to come back to uh, the question you said before, which is, do I think um, the Turkish people would have brought to justice? I think it was made, looking at the evidence that's presented in the documentary and the premeditated actions, because um, they, they, basically the Saudi government were aware that um, Jamal Khashoggi was going to be at a certain place at a certain time, which is the Saudi consulate, five days beforehand because of a legal document he was trying to acquire to get married to his wife at the time, which is, um, I'll try and pronounce the, the lady's name later on. But they had five days to kind of plan an execution. And I think that is the, the, the worrying thing. So I don't think the Turkish government were ever going to be in a position because of the political boundaries and games that were going to be played. Well, isn't it the case that um, Erdogan, the Turkish leader, actually released um, documents um, showing the mm. murder, which incidentally revealed that he'd been bugging the embassy? Yeah. And um, such was his rage at this murder taking place without his permission yeah. that he actually revealed that he was bugging the embassy. Yeah, because yeah. the guy's an absolute psychopath, first of all. Like, he, like, he says he's a president, but I think he's going to be there for the next 50 years because the guy is a power... Hungry lunatic, but yeah, so you're talking about Erdogan, yeah. We're talking about Erdogan, yeah. 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 Hey, it's all interchangeable. It could yeah. be <laughs> Mohammed bin Salman, it could be Erdogan. We don't yeah. know, they're, the, they're cut from the same cloth, really. But yeah, it's quite interesting. That's the way they found out. They had the full transcript, like, so there was no trust there to begin with, was there? No, but Erdogan, the way he runs his country is that nothing needs to be kept from him. It doesn't matter if you're a consulate, it doesn't matter if you're an embassy. Yeah. I need to know everything that's going on within my borders. So, so do you think is, this is about um, taking the eyes slightly off the murder of Jamal Khashoggi and probably uh, zooming out a little bit and seeing how a government's um, infiltrating and inveigling themselves in our personal data and information and what they can have access to? Um, maybe... But I think those types of governments don't need social media to control their population and mm. oppress them. We saw that with Saddam Hussein for years and years. He had no social media in that country, but yeah. he would just send around his secret police to beat the shit out of you and kill you and stuff like that. So I don't think yeah. dictators need social media in that sense. I think it's, from a Western point of view, social media is really dangerous in terms of them selling our data to make the most money. Yeah. Whereas in in countries like Turkey and Saudi Arabia, it's a fucking bonus. Yeah. Like, oh shit! Like, we don't have to send around police to like know what our citizens are doing. Like, yeah. we can actually just steal their data. Um, but there was another point I was going to say about uh, Khashoggi. Um, the reason they knew he was going to the consulate was because they actually had his phone bugged as well. Yeah. So they had 
messages detailing that he wanted to get married to this yeah, Turkish yeah. woman and he was going to visit the consulate. Sure. And it was because of that, because I think usually mm. you don't have to wait that long yeah. to renew. So they I think re- that was a delay tactic. Yeah, so yeah, they could exactly. spend more time planning yeah. and get the right people So essentially together. what they did, they knew he was coming in the first place. So they said, okay, this guy's coming. You need to delay him for five days because usually this document could be whacked out in a few hours. Yeah, like yes. we're in the twenty first century here, and that's when they said, "Okay, we'll do it five days." That's it will take us five days to get our guys on a private jet, which it can only be funded by your own government. By the way, we're going to go into this private land strip and we're going to get him murdered. And the, the sickening thing about it, even when you you listen to the transcript of when he goes into the room and sees, oh shit, I know you. Like, yeah, 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 oh, yeah. Is this, is this a reunion party? Yeah. No, you're gonna get fucking chopped up right now, motherfucker. Yeah, that it's type a, it, of thing. Like, it's insane that they thought they could get away with this. It's not that. I mean, I don't think it was that quick when he found out. I mean, they tried to do the civilities and formalities with him in the transcript, but it's like you get the impression that they want him to say a certain thing to kind of save his life sort of thing and he doesn't realise he's under threat but do you think I I didn't get that impression I think it was more so they wanted him to say something so they could justify punching him but oh, I yeah, think they were yeah. going to kill him anyway. I Possibly. Think they, I the think they were going to get rid of Surely they wouldn't send over a 15-strong team on a private <laughs> exactly. jet to say, all oh, right, that's good enough yes, for exactly. us. <laughs> that's a great apology. No, no. <laughs> but, uh, sorry, I'm just coming back to the fact that, yeah, they probably wanted to, him to say a certain thing to lead into the narrative. Because I think one of the excu- when they came out with the excuses of how he died, it was anything from administering too much drugs to him getting into a fist fight to, like, I think him falling down the stairs and stuff like that. Well, does that mean... If if they wanted to say a certain thing, do they kind of know that they were being bugged in a sense? Because mm-hmm. if you're not recording it yourself, no. why do you need him to say a certain? Because I don't, I don't, I I get the feeling it was like they needed to justify why they were going to commit a violent act towards him. Yeah. I don't think because I think these are hired killers; they're psychopaths anyway. I don't think they need like so they could be as small as someone bumped in, into them slightly yeah, for yeah. them to put a bullet in someone's head. I think they were going there to kill him, and the mm. fact that. They had a conversation because it was all along. I think they they wanted to at least bring him back to yeah, Saudi yeah, Arabia yeah, in yeah. some form. Mm. But I, I think it was a. I think whoever whoever commissioned this assassination yeah. probably said like, "Bring him back. I don't care if it's dead or alive." The thing is, there's this other thing that I wanted to mention, and it's not specific in the documentary, so I have to make that caveat. But it's been rumored uh, because. They had, uh, I think the Turkish uh, police officers or Turkish police force were saying there was a reason why the meeting room was being used specifically because that was the room with the video link to, to go to other countries. And they did a quick shot of the, um, the television set and the fact that the table had been moved because you could see like a massive indentation on the, car- on the carpet where the um, table was and then wasn't. Uh, on the on the day that the Turkish uh, police were allowed to go in, and you kind of get the impression that maybe there was a show of it, and there may have been like a video link to somebody in another country who would have been witnessing the events as it unfolded as well. Mm. So, oh. which presumably would have been the person who ordered the killing. Exactly. Someone tweaking the nipples on the other side of a webcam. <laughs> We've all been there. That's what I was going to say. Here's, here's, here's a hot take. <laughs> You're killing <laughs> which, me, man. Which wasn't uh, actually mentioned in the documentary at all. Yeah. This, this murder of Khashoggi was heavily uh, sanitised because 
it, it's, it reeks of someone. Hold on, when you say sanitized, sanitized by the media or sanitized by the Saudi Arabian government? I think by the documentary maker. Who was it? Okay. Brian Fogel. Brian Fogel. Yeah, yeah. Brian Fogel sanitized it because he wanted a, 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 a likable antagonist. Yeah. And Brian, I don't know, for whatever reason, because the guy's already dead. You mean a, 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 a likable anti-hero? I don't think he's even an anti-hero in that. I think, you, think he's, you think he's proper antagonist because he was an insider to the Saudi Arabia? No, but I think... No, that, that's what I'm going to come to. I okay. think the way he's been portrayed is that he's the hero of this story. Like, he's what, Khashoggi himself? Yeah, yeah. He's Khashoggi. a martyr. Yeah, he's a martyr. Yeah. Sorry. Like, he, he, he saw what happened in uh, Egypt with the Arab Spring and so, oh, shit, mm. like... like Change can come to the Middle East. Let me f- fund some dissidents. Yeah. Not realizing that Khashoggi was as inside as inside could be. Yeah. Like he was resting in, in the colon of uh, Mohammed bin Salman. That's mm-hmm. how inside he was. And it's, it reeks of someone who, who, who for all intents and purposes, joined the mafia, was, ma- was made a made man. Yeah. And turned state witness and turned snitch. Yeah. And that mafia went and whacked him for yeah. his troubles. Because so we're talking about the Henry Hill of international journalism. But Henry Hill, Henry Hill survived. Yeah, he yeah. didn't get whacked. He, he, he died by his own tomfoolery and, and alcohol take. Yeah, because yeah. eventually I think he had to go by the pseudonym to, so he could get out and go into, wit- yeah, who, into witness who, who protection. Who would be a great example of someone that tried to leave the mafia but got whacked? Well, probably they'll never come to light. But this is what's happened with Khashoggi. He was a a mouthpiece for the government, their lead journalist that went to every single public engagement saying, yeah, that, that, no, the government's really nice, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, we're giving women driving licenses. Can mm. you believe this? They're getting the vote. But like, wasn't that part of the, the hashtag Vision 2030 kind of referendum of Saudi Arabia are doing great things and we need to kind of make a big show of that? Yeah, unless, unless you're gay and you fucking get stoned to death unless you're an adulterer then you get fucking stoned to death like there's so many caveats to Saudi Arabia being great mm. and I think Khashoggi for a very long time saw this and he, he was at at best indifferent to it at at worst he was complicit and kind of like it was like eh this, this is Saudi Arabia this is what we do even though this guy got to go to many different countries around the world because yes he went to university in Indiana he went to Indiana Anya State, State University 1979 right. yeah. yeah so he he was able to see other cultures outside of his not mm-hmm. to say that America's the pinup for culture because they have their own fucking issues over there but he got to it's see all it. relative isn't yeah, it yeah exactly it's all relative mm-hmm. and for him to be in um, in uh, Indiana and see that people had free speech, had, um, as, as even back in 1979, it was, yeah, whatever. They had a lot of things at Saudi Arabia, but for him to see that and then go back to Saudi Arabia and see a government oppress its people to the point where, yeah, he couldn't really do anything, kind of, that, that's, that's worse than turning a blind eye. Yeah. And, he, I don't know what it was, like, the, the documentary describes it as an epiphany. He saw what happened in Egypt. They had the dictator for 30 years, and the people came out and said, no, we want you out. Even though things in Egypt aren't all rosy at the moment. I think when you, when you have these Arab Springs, you need infrastructure, and you need a plan ahead to what's going to replace the dictatorship was there. So the way it's told in the documentary, he saw what was happening in Egypt. He saw it was great, and he's thinking, okay, he's been portrayed as a reformer. So a reformer mm-hmm. is someone that has to work from the inside 
But if, if, you're, if you're one reformer out of a hundred fucking psychopaths, you're not going to reform anyone else. It's, it's impossible. Like, you're looking at an impossibility. So he saw himself as a reformer, and he thought, okay, I'm not working, so let me start criticising the government myself. Let me start working with dissidents and give them their money. Which basically was the beginning of his down. Actually, as soon as he started speaking out against the um, uh, Saudi Arabian government, that was the, the beginning of the end because he had such a high... Like, if, if, they, if they're going to want to murder and imprison a guy who, who sent a tweet out who had 100 followers, <laughs> obviously, of course they're going to try and kill a man who's got the voice of the Washington Post. But it's also, it's also confidential information because he's seen what happens behind... The, the red curtain, so to speak, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, but what, what, what would you call that? Would, would you call that a, a orange sandy curtain? Because they're not, they're not communists over there. They're, 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 like, they're, they're the most capitalist you can be uh, in Saudi Arabia because they're their oil money. What's that? No, that's black curtain. Should we call it the black curtain? Okay, the black oil yeah. curtain, yeah. But <laughs> the it, wet black curtain. But, I mean, I, I, I understand your point. I, I do feel that his net, not just the narrative of the documentary is trying to paint a picture of who he is but I got the impression that he was genuinely somebody he was into freedom of speech but he found himself curtailed by his position amongst the Saudi Arabian government and the Saudi uh, royal family but I think the issue was this idea is like like you said the mafia is a good analogy one you can you can step out of the family so to speak but you can't be um, free from the family and uh, what they want to do with you, you know. And uh, Erfan Fidan, who's the chief prosecutor from Istanbul, who is uh, the senior prosecutor at the time, is trying to uh, bring people to justice. I felt it was very interesting to hear from him as much as the other journalists that had uh, become friends with Jamal Khashoggi because you were getting to see the power play wasn't just uh, a government-threatening journalist, but it's almost a country... Um, usurping authority or taking authority from another country because the Turkish government were kind of handicapped in the investigation in terms of, I don't think they were allowed to go in on a day they wanted to because I think um, the uh, Saudi consulate were putting delays on the time that they could go into the building and then after that they could only search certain parts of the building with conditions and not take too much evidence away. But it, this kind of uh, recorded transcript that Erdogan had made, um, it kind of puts a picture and obviously sounds to what went on, which is, is uh, it seems like it's, it's like a very distressing thing to watch. And I actually think it's actually brave of um, Jamal Khashoggi's wife, uh, and I'll try and pronounce this best I can, Hatice Sengis, to actually participate in this because she's actually reliving... Um, perhaps the worst moments of anybody's life to um, kind of bring this story to life for people who are probably not aware of what's going on outside of their own country, you know? Um, so, it, it, like, unfortunately, it didn't become his wife because he got murdered. They had to go and get a certificate. So it was his fiance. Actually, I think she was... No, she, I think she was married once. But not to with him. him. Then, oh, Is not to him. No, no because I, I thought they got divorced. So he could leave the country. No, he's he. That's the other thing. Khashoggi. I don't miss the first wife. Yeah, Khashoggi left his wife and children back in Saudi Arabia. Oh, okay, got you. Yeah. So and then he he met this uh, journalist. Journalist. Yeah, she was significantly younger than him. Yeah. And twenty four years. Wow. Player, player, players, <laughs> play. Um, 
she was the only sympathetic character mm. in this whole documentary. Like even the guy Omar, who was happy for his brother to just lie in prison, like just shut up. Yeah, I was uncomfortable about that. Yeah, just shut up. Like, like your brothers in, your two of your brothers in prison. Just shut up. Yeah, like you, you can still be a political, uh, uh, what's it, asylum seeker in Canada, but just shut up. So, do you think he was too far gone as a journalist and perhaps um, outspoken voice on Twitter and in social media to kind of rein it back in and say, I'm not gonna say anything from here in because he's probably an example to let's say the Arab Spring or the the young people who are trying to say something political? Okay, so that's a good question. I feel that, well, going by the synopsis, he's not actually a journalist. Okay. He's actually a Saudi activist and video blogger. Journalists have to go through some type of training and stuff like that. I think this guy is high off the likes because that gives you dopamine as well. And he does just... He doesn't want to cut off that supply okay. of likes because you make him sound like a narcissist going no, for narcissistic I, no, supply. I, I do feel that you know, like when I look at because I had to watch it again for this review, review, and I really feel that if you know that you not one brother, you got two brothers, yeah, in prison, and you know how Saudi Arabian prisons are like, yeah, and you don't have to be, um, you don't even have to have done a, a actual crime, yeah. And you're there in, in Toronto saying, yeah, look at me in the studio. I'm fucking mm. going to kick the shit out of the Saudi Arabian government. Like, no, just, I don't know. just stop. I, I felt he, he did have some kind of guilt or remorse. And it felt like this platform or the, the documentary as a platform was probably one of the last big stages he could have said something. Obviously, I'm not sure what became of this kind of show that he came up with, which is called uh, Say What You Want and Walk Away. But coming back to your point, if he is saying what he wants and walking away, he's obviously got to wrangle with, is he walking away from his family as well and the people he's left behind in Saudi Arabia in order to have freedom of speech? Yeah, he definitely gave his two brothers the, the two middle fingers. But what, what I will say, just before we wrap up, I, I think it's absolutely hilarious that um, this timeline's Lex Luthor came out <laughs> in support of the working person. <laughs> and I mean, by that you're referring to uh, Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Who yeah. just recently shot himself into space. Yeah, because... For a little while. Yeah, because they don't have a fucking alien from Krypton here that he can fight. He, <laughs> I want to spend 12 <laughs> seconds in space. Well, actually, sorry, can I just add to that? Because I think recently he's, he's actually put Captain Kirk into space. Yeah, as well, exactly. Because yeah. they're just fucking gross, grotesque pieces of shit. But what I will say... The only reason he decided to back one of his employees from yeah. the Washington Post was because it was revealed through leaked texts from the Saudi Arabian government that he was actually having an affair. Mm. And that was the only reason, because he was ready to have a deal with the government. Are you sure about that? Because timeline-wise, I mean, maybe it's the way they edited the documentary, but it seemed like he wasn't wanting to associate himself with the death of Jamal Khashoggi at the Davos Expo. And as a result of not attaching his name to the Davos Expo, Mohammed Sal, Mohammed bin Salman sent in some texts via WhatsApp explaining he can't control what's going on in the press. And then that's when the revelations came out about his affair. But yeah, I but, saw it, that timeline. Yeah, that timeline. No, that's true. That's Everything in that is true. But the reason they were able to get those texts was because they sent him the uh, the code yeah. to download everything on his phone. Actually, the weird thing, it's not a they, it's a, it, was, it was from Mohammed 
been Salman's phone. Yeah. But again, uh, we've got to refer to, I've got to refer to this company. I've got to bring a name up. I think it's called, um, the organization is called, uh, it's NGO something. Oh, I just had it a little while ago. But there's Pegasus spyware that was being used to extract information yeah, from, Israel. from other yeah. people. From Yeah, Pegasus spyware, which is made by an Israeli tech company, which is used to extract um, software data and monitor it and push things back and forth. But yeah, it was a text message that allowed them to scrape everything off Jeff Bezos's yeah. and smartphone. Here's the thing. If that never happened, mm. if they didn't send that text and scrape everything from the, this guy's law, like, lurid life yeah he would have just distanced himself from them just while the dust settled on oh, this journalist so dying let me ask you another way so do you think if they didn't put that um like national inquiry information out there that if maybe one year later when let's say things had died down there would have been another expo that jeff bezos may have attended one thousand percent Okay. Like he just didn't want to be slighted as a billionaire because they're control freaks and they think, how dare, how dare you? Like I spy on my employees. You don't spy on my phone. How dare you? And that's that's the mm. only reason you saw him at the anniversary of Khashoggi's death in the hot sun, hugging uh, the, the 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 fiance. Ironically, went, he actually said to her like, "You're not alone," as yeah, well. And twat, technically, man. none of them are. No, I, I really, yeah, we didn't like Jeff Bezos either, but. Um, yeah, that was my final point, Dom. Okay. By the way, our podcast is not available on Amazon Prime. <laughs> or not after this. It's actually Amazon Music. So I think... But don't tell does, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> I guess it remains for me to say the documentary has one conclusion about who is responsible. Mm. Is it convincing? Is there any doubt of this, TJ? Okay, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll try and sum up with, with my final points. So the company I was trying to uh, remember from the documentary is actually called NSO Group Technology. So you can check them out. Apparently, they're an Israeli technology firm who primarily known for spyware Pegasus, which is uh, featured in this uh, documentary quite heavily. Um, I think the thing that was alarming for me was um, the the army working out about the army of flies, as it were, as uh, the journalist or, or the social media journalist Abdulaziz had mentioned, which was um, this idea that there's a group of people sat in a warehouse who are just knocking out tweet messages from accounts to kind of stamp down anything against um, the royal family or particular uh, uh, government regime. That's kind of a worrying thing about freedom of speech. But um, I think you got to see... For me, I'm, I'm not into or I'm not up to date as much as I should be or could be with Middle Eastern politics and news. And I think seeing this story just shoot its way into a documentary and seeing the connections that what, what, of what one government would do to silence one journalist um, and perhaps one hashtag, it's just made me aware of the fact that freedom of speech is... It is a human right, but it's also something of an it's something that can be very easily abused, and people have lost their lives for it. And I think this documentary kind of shows that if you're in the wrong board at the wrong time, you have a real fight on your hands to kind of say what you want. So um, I think it's a compelling documentary, and I think anyone who's very interested, anyone who's interested in trying to say 
anything political or be part of a political movement should watch this, not as a deterrent, but to kind of understand the wider scope of how freedom of speech is treated around the world. But do you think the government did it? <laughs> um, I, I'm going to go... I'm going to... Uh, there was a quote here, um, which was... Um, to con to conduct surveillance on the richest man in the world is not only striking, but it's scary. And I, to quote the guy in the, from the show, who is um, part of the CIA, if I can just find him. Sorry for, if this is going to run over for time. But um, I think the CIA were highly confident in um, their information and their leads about what this guy had done. And I would suggest the CIA were not far wrong from the truth, particularly with the transcripts and the and uh, placing the names to each person who was uh, potentially in the room. I, I think it was just too accurate. And I, I just think you've got... it. What, for me, the dissident is about a planned assassination um, by a higher authority where 15 henchmen basically went into a premeditated, perhaps five-day plan to assassinate a leading uh, uh, progressive journalist. Yeah, okay. And if we can speak on behalf of the director, um, mm. the director Fogel, this is um, from the Wikipedia page. Mm. Fogel believes, this is a quote, Fogel believes the prince will never face an Interpol investigation or arrest warrant because of the vast amount of wealth he owns, end quote. Okay. So that is the opinion of the director. Can I just say, um, in terms of all the evidence supplied by the CIA, which uh, TJ alluded to, uh, this is the same CIA that invades any country that has a political system that is not capitalism. They've tried to kill uh, Fidel Castro over a hundred times. So many guerrilla wars, everything going on there. Um, so I take everything the CIA says with a grain of salt mm. uh, but with that being said uh, Mohammed bin Salim definitely did <laughs> <laughs> you're calling it yeah. and on that note yeah okay it was nice knowing you MKH <laughs> you'd been a great podcaster thank you <laughs> MKH was a fantastic podcaster for many years for us <laughs> allegedly, allegedly allegedly he allegedly did it <laughs> I think he definitely allegedly did it <laughs> Yes. Can I say that? Is that you can ask? say definitely, maybe. Yeah. Definitely, maybe, allegedly did it. Yeah. And there's no uh, Oasis uh, album about that. No. Um, <laughs> so also, this got 90, 90 Thankfully. Yeah, exactly. This also got 97% as a rating okay. on Tomatoes. What that says about it, I don't know. It's got 7.9 on uh, IMDb and uh, four, three and a half stars on Amazon itself amazon prime shit that's wow. bad which is uh, jeff bezos damn voting it no, that's what i'm saying like that's a bit surprising actually um two shocking five stars on oh sorry 4.7 out of five stars um it, the half star falls in a funny place but um apparently 206 people voted on it but the twitter account of the dissident is actually getting a lot of heat from certain uh let's say accounts that are sending negative comments about its existence as a documentary. So you can imagine where that comes from. Mm. Uh, actually, can I just say as well, before we wrap up, before we land this plane, actually... This is our third wrap-up. No, absolutely, finally. It's quite interesting. This is why it is on Amazon Prime as well, because mm. he was going around trying to tout this documentary, but he sure. couldn't get it done because yeah. of the connections they had with Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And as I said, this, this timeline's 
uh, Lex Luthor was so butthurt that someone dared peek at his phone without his permission. He said, all right, we're going to pull it out for you. Mm. And, and that, that's his revenge against the Saudi Arabian government. Not that he gives a fuck, because isn't he fighting with Elon Musk? This mm. timeline's fucking... Tony Stark? Nah, I no, like no, I, he's much less likable exactly, than that. I like Tony Stark. Okay, I can't think of a another super... billionaire that's an absolute twat. Oh well, sometimes it's Bruce Wayne, but I think um, now I'd have I'd say who'd be a billionaire superhero that you don't like? Kingpin. Yeah, no, I like Kingpin, but he's only in New York. Yeah, yeah, never mind. But what yeah. about like? Um, the, the version of Bruce Wayne he'll grow up to be from the Joker because I hated that film so he'll probably turn out to be a twat yeah exactly yeah. so okay. yeah exactly that, that. Arthur Dent's Bruce Wayne yes yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah so um, yeah so he's fighting with him to be the richest man in the world. I don't think he cares I don't think he ne- really needed that deal with Saudi Arabia he just wanted mm. a bit more money and now he doesn't have it he said this is my revenge I'm putting it on Amazon Prime suck my dick from the back and that's it mm. that's it depressing but true yeah so on that uncharacteristically somber edition of Dom's Dogs, we were talking about the shocking and sadly real-life story, The Dissident. Joining us this time were MKH. Thank you for joining us. Uh, it's been an absolute ple- 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 pleasure. And also joining us, TJ. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Cool. I've been King Dom. Join us again for next month. 